The Old Testament reading is Isaiah 41 through 11 once more. And I hope you will hear the joy in this passage. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Six o'clock. Pray with me. Thank you, Father, for your word. Oh, how we thank you that your word will never die. The grass withers, the flower fades, but your word lives on for eternity. Help us to cling to that word. Let it shape us today. Speak through me. Be my strength this morning. And Lord, I just pray for our congregation that you would make us one in you. Unite us by your word. And Lord, let our hearts and our minds be focused on you throughout this holiday season and beyond. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're taking a, a, a few weeks break from Hebrews, although a lot of the themes still play in, uh, as, as we uh, saw last week. But um, today we're looking at Isaiah 40, that uh, the passage that Barbara read. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned the joy in that, Barbara, because uh, I see that as well, and we'll be talking about that. As you see, the title of the sermon, Craving for Comfort Food, I mean, it, looking at comfort in this passage made me think about ways we seek comfort. And one of the most common phrases or most common things you'll hear about comfort is comfort food. And so I just thought about that a little bit, and I was wondering, where, where did that come from? And it came from uh, some newspaper in Florida back in the 60s. 
that I guess coined the term comfort food. It says adults when under severe emotional stress turn to what could be called comfort food. Food associated with the security of childhood, like mother's poached egg or famous chicken soup. I'll go with one of those. Poached egg, to me, has never been thought of as comfort food, but maybe back then it was, I don't know. But really, this article wasn't defining the beginning of humanity's desire for comfort foods or comfort beverages. There are comfort foods and comfort drinks that we probably all crave during times of stress and grief. And these cravings really are due to our normal human desire for immediate relief from the pain, the anxieties, and the stresses of life. The comfort I'm talking about is, is it could be defined as a state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint. You ever feel that desire for that kind of comfort? Just to get away from the pain a little bit, just to get away from the anxiety. And that's what we're looking for with our comfort foods. So what we're looking for with our comfort beverages, something just to give us a little relief. There's nothing wrong about this kind of comfort as long as it's legal and not something addictive. But sometimes we use other things for comfort also. We use things like relationships. We use other things that we can hang on to, like our financial status our career, whatever it might be, things that we can hold on to to say, this, okay, this is my anchor. This gives me a little comfort. Something that'll just give us a little piece of rest. But that's kind of the comfort sometimes that we also seek in our Lord. Sometimes we want Him to provide us with this immediate relief in the midst of our crisis, to comfort us according to our needs in our time in sort of a comfort food way. We want that immediate relief. And as a result, we end up seeking comfort in God rather than seeking the God of comfort. But those comforts will always be temporal. Those comforts that we seek here on earth, they're always going to be temporal. And you know what? They're always going to end up disappointing. They'll never give us the comfort we really need and desire because it's all temporary, And it's all insufficient. But the comfort that God actually provides for his people, as Isaiah is describing, is a deeper, if I can use the word holistic, complete comfort that brings an everlasting peace, an everlasting hope, an everlasting endurance in the midst of any crisis. So we're looking at Isaiah. This is, you know, we're not going through the entire book of Isaiah, so let me just give you a little bit of background. Isaiah was written in the 8th century, and that was, it was great having the children's lessons. Thank you for that, Angela, because um, it was written in the 8th century B.C. and the 7th century B.C. Yes, dealing with, with countries, with nations coming in and taking over God's people. Started with the southern kingdom in 722, and then with the, I'm sorry, started with the northern kingdom in 722 when, when Assyria came and took them. And then, as Angela was talking about, Babylon, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and took the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom in 586, I believe. Um, and Isaiah was prophesying during those times, and actually before, before that exile to Babylon. So there's a lot of bad news in Isaiah. But as we see, there's also a lot of good news. There's, we, we, we see chapter 7, 8, 9, 9 11, we, we, we quote those a lot during the Christmas season. 
We quote about the child being born to a virgin. We quote about Emmanuel. But there's also the first five, first six chapters, the disaster is coming. When Isaiah is called, he's called by God in chapter 6, and he's called to take a message to the people. And this message is actually going to be a message that's going to harden their hearts. That even though having ears they won't hear and having eyes they won't see, they won't understand, it's going to harden them, it's going to give them callous, callous hearts. So the purpose of Isaiah's call was really to call the people back to the Lord. But there's also a section of Isaiah where we, where we are today that starts the second part of Isaiah. So Isaiah is kind of divided up into, into uh, three sections, chapter 1 through 39, chapter 40 through 55, and then 56 through 66. Um, and there's subdivisions in there as well. But for many, it's called, a lot of commentators will call it the gospel of Isaiah because there's much of the gospel in the book of Isaiah. And this is part of it that we're going to see here as Isaiah is looking ahead. Isaiah 40 looks ahead to a time when God's people in Judah would be delivered from an exile, but this is an exile they had not even gone into at this time. They hadn't even yet experienced this exile, and yet he's talking about deliverance from the exile. This would be a time of waiting. This would be a time for them craving their comfort, and it had not yet even begun. The beauty of Yahweh's timing here is that the people could hear these words while waiting in exile in Babylon. They could have the letters from God telling them, comfort, comfort my people. And as people today, we can hear these words of comfort while waiting in the midst of our own struggles. So let's look at this comfort. In here we're going to see the, the messengers of God's comfort be the first part. Then we'll see the message, the actual message of God's comfort. Then we'll see the eternity, the eternal value of God's comfort. So we're going to start with verse 1 here. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. So this comfort here, he's, he's calling to comfort the people of God, to strengthen, encourage, and provide hope in the midst of this discouraging time, in the midst of this suffering time. It's more than just discouraging. It's a time of suffering. I mean, Angela was pretty hard on these kids up here, you know. It was a really hard time. But you see, what I, I, I do like the King James Version here because it says, Comfort, comfort ye, my people. He's talking to somebody. And you know what? That comfort is in, is in the plural also. So he's talking to people. He's talking to, some say, maybe a heavenly court. But I, I, I think I agree with, with uh, a lot of the commentaries I read. He's talking to messengers, his own messengers that he will be sending, his, his prophets. Comfort, comfort my people. So... This is, this, the other thing about this is comfort, this is an imperative. This is a command. He's telling his prophets to bring comfort to my people who are in exile. This is the other cool thing here. He says it twice. When God says something twice, he's intensifying it. And with, with this, this is, there's actually emotional intensity. He's addressing the heart here. Look at, uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're in Isaiah, 43.11, 43.25, he does this again, in, and he'll do this in various times in Isaiah. The, God says, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. There's an emotional intensity happening there. I, I am the Lord. 
43.25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. More of the gospel of Isaiah there. But you see how when, when he's repeating these words, it's emotional intensity going on here. Why this intensity? Why is this, this just these first few words have so much to them? I like what Matthew Henry says here. He says, because sometimes the souls of God's people refuse to be comforted. And their comforters must repeat things again and again. We're distracted. We're discouraged. We're depressed. And sometimes the word of God just does not reach our hearts. Sometimes we have ears, but we're not hearing. We need God's word repeated to us. We need a diet of God's word. That's why Psalm 1 says, Blessed is he who meditates on the, on the word of God. He, on his law, he meditates day and night. And he will be what? Like a tree planted by streams of living water that yields fruit in every season. Its leaf does not wither because it's got deep roots and it's constantly, constantly absorbing the streams of that living water of the word of God constantly coming over, bearing fruit during the drought, during the rain, always planted, always deeply rooted. Something else in this first few words. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. If you remember last week, we talked about this covenant language that God uses throughout since the time of Abraham. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be their God. They will be my people. Remember how many times that was repeated last, uh, last week? And what's interesting is in verse 6, or chapter 6, when he's calling Isaiah, he says, Isaiah, go to this people. Go to this people and tell them. But here, in this passage of comfort, he's saying, comfort Comfort my people, and I'm your God. This is covenant language he's speaking to the people. This is a love language that he's speaking to these people, to his people. Verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. There's a lot of beauty in this language here. In how this Old Testament... God is speaking to his people. We think about the Old Testament God. Many times you'll see him represented as this, as this tyrant. As somebody making sure everybody obeys the law or he'll kill him. But look what he's saying here. Verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. That is simply speak to the heart. Speak to their heart. Matthew Henry again, speak that which will revive her heart. This is, this is, again, emotional. This is persuading. This is calling. This is drawing someone near. Sometimes we can really, in, in, in our theology, sometimes we can limit our emotions to a fault. I think we need to be careful of over-emotionalism, of course. I think we need to be careful of manipulation. That is all a danger. But I also think we need to be careful of under-emotional 
of, 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 of not allowing our emotions to be what they ought to be. What the Word of God is calling us to be here. And he's saying to speak tenderly to Jerusalem. You know where else this is used? Hosea 2.14. Jerusalem, his people, are a harlot. They left him. They're unfaithful. They left him. And God says this in Hosea 2.14. Therefore, behold, I will allure, allure her, this harlot, this one who cheated on me, and bring her into the wilderness, and I'll speak tenderly to her. Even though she's been unfaithful, he'll take her and he'll draw her. Once again, this Old Testament God going to the unfaithful one and speaking tenderly to her heart. This is what the Lord is calling his messengers to do. This is just the first two verses, the first verse and and part of verse two. See, unlike the immediate comforts we seek to relieve our pain and anxiety, Yahweh, our Lord, is seeking and craving to provide comfort before, during, and after the crisis. The comfort that he is offering to us is everlasting. It's a comfort that is with us before, during, and after the crisis. It's an all-encompassing comfort. So what is this comfort? What is the message of this comfort? Well, we see this as we keep going on. I, I like what Ray Ortland says. He says that, that God in this, in this passage is wanting us to change our focus. He says change the subject. God is changing the subject, getting it off of exile and getting it on him. <laughs> getting his eyes, getting our eyes on him. Verse 2 continues. The message is that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Briefly, her war, her time of duress, her time of trouble, her exile, all of that is ended. If you want to read a little bit about this, it's, uh, uh, 2 Kings 24 has a little bit of the Babylonian exile, amongst other places. Um, but surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord, this says from Second Kings. This is just the one, uh, Second Kings twenty four three. Surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh. Manasseh was a wicked king. The Lord put Judah into exile. This was his doing. It was his doing for their disobedience. But now he's saying, "I'm also going to comfort you." And I'm going to get you out. Secondly, the iniquity is pardoned. Sins are forgiven. The sins of Manasseh, the sins of this wicked king, the sins of Hezekiah and the the others, they're forgiven. What is this comfort? Your iniquity, your war is ended. Your iniquity is pardoned. You've received from the Lord double for all your sins. The payment of sins has been received by Yahweh God. An abundance of mercy. So this sounds like it could be, this could be taken a few different ways, that you receive double for your sins. Like this, like you've received double punishment for your sins is how some might interpret this. 
Um, but I like what Calvin says, that this is an abundance of mercy. In fact, the, the word here for double has to do with a fold of, of, of a piece of paper. So if you're folding a piece of paper and... Dave, is this a little loud? It seems like it's ringing a little bit. Folding a piece of paper in half there, and, and you have equal sides. So it's like there's, there's equal payment for the sin. The sin and the payment match. And so that's just one, one of the illustrations there for that, for that word double. But the point of it is, it's been paid. It's been received. It's a payment that's been received by the Lord. And remember, they were able to read this while they were in exile. This was a means of hope for them while they were sitting in Babylon, while they're watching their friends get persecuted, get thrown into the fiery furnace. Yes, delivered, but it still was difficult. And they could look to the word of God and be reminded, comfort, comfort for my people. Another thing this reminds them of with this, this verse is that there is an end to the disciplines of God. There is an end to the sufferings that we deal with. They're not forever. There is hope. There is something to look to. There is a comfort that will come. He's saying that there's hope in the waiting and you're craving for this real everlasting comfort while it feels like it's all over. Be comforted. Be comforted. Redemption is coming. What I love about this, as Angela pointed out, this message also looks beyond the exile. It looks beyond after they're delivered back from the exile because real redemption had not yet happened after the exile. There there was more to come. We will see him. The comforter will be in our midst. And we see this in verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley should be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And an uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What I love about this is Yahweh, our God, is the one making the way. He's the one making the way. John the Baptist came and, and, and was declaring that he was preparing to, to prepare the way for the Lord. God was preparing the way through John the Baptist, through his servant. Even in Isaiah 43, later on in Isaiah, he says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. See, even after this Babylonian exile was completed, it, it was, was, was over. It was never completely back to normal. There was still disobedience. There was still rebellion. Israel still waited for redemption, looking for the promised Messiah, still being oppressed. But this way in the wilderness was also looking ahead. Isaiah was prophesying this new thing that God was doing, an even greater comfort than his written word spoken by the prophets and delivered by the angels. Yes, they had that word, 
That word was eternal. They were looking at that word for their hope, for their comfort. But there was something greater than that word coming. And we can even go back in Isaiah in chapter 9 where we see, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Do you hear the deliverance in this? On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord, the jealousy, the love of the Lord for his people. This is going to, the, the, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, what's, what, what, what this comfort is coming is this comfort of God would take on flesh. This comfort of God would take on flesh and dwell with his people. Remember last week we talked about that barrier that was between God and his people. Throughout the time of the tabernacle and the temple, there was that veil. And only the high priest could go in to the presence of the Lord. And even that was an ark with the glory of God coming down. But now one's coming. Now one is coming that will comfort as none before, the child to be born to a virgin who would be the comfort of God's people, the consolation of Israel in the flesh. And in verse 6, another voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, the word of our God will stand forever. This is the eternity. This is the eternity of God's comfort. See, all the comforts of this life, every comfort that we seek after, whether it's something simple like food, whether it's something bigger, like a big portfolio, a nice car, whatever that might be, or even a relationship. All the comforts of this life, they're going to wither. They're going to fade. We will all wither, and we will all fade. But there's only one thing that will remain. What is your only comfort in life and in death? I wish I had this for us all to read, but let me read it to you from the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with this precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. As we wait, as we wait for the Savior... We wait for the day that we celebrate the coming, but there's also more to come. As we said last week, the Savior came, the Savior was born, the Savior died and won the victory over death. 
and the word of God remains, and we continue in the word of God because there is still more. And we stay in that word of God because what is coming is a deliverance, is comfort that no one can take from us ever. A comfort that will be unassailable in any way because it will over, it will, it will supersede anything the enemy could do because there will be no more enemy. Because the enemy will be vanquished and we will all be in the presence of the Lord sitting in his true comfort, in a true comfort that is eternal. So what do we do while we wait? I like what James says. James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Consider the comforts you're seeking today. Consider, are you seeking comfort from God, or are you seeking the God of comfort? Brothers and sisters, I would like to see us make this a season as we wait, as we're in Advent, and even going into Easter, that we would make this a season of drawing near to our God together. Drawing near through filling our minds with his word. Seeking him in prayer together. Seeking him in fellowship. You know, something beautiful about that fellowship is we get to remind one another when we come together to pray, when we come together in worship, we get to remind one another We get to remind the discouraged brother, the depressed sister. We get to remind the distracted person that God is real, that his comfort is real, and we need to hold on, to deepen our faith in him. Although the comfort feels distance, it is real. And let us keep before us that all flesh is as grass, and the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word The promise of the Lord, the comfort of the Lord, remains forever. May we wait on him together. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, help us to comfort one another with your word. Lord, help those who are having such a hard time hearing your word today. I pray that your spirit would break through to them. And I pray that the comfort of your word would be more real than ever before to them. May your spirit minister to us all through your word, through your spirit, and through the fellowship of your saints. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.